Girlfriends, episode number 108, Redeeming Conflict in Lent with Dr. Anne Garrido. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week we're starting Lent, and I'm sharing a great conversation I had with Dr. Ann Garrido about Lenten practices and redeeming conflict. What does that mean? Let's find out, starting right now. Hey, girlfriends. Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Happy Mardi Gras, although it'll be past Mardi Gras by the time you hear this because I'm only getting around to recording this midday on Tuesday. Remember when I used to be so good and I would record these early every Monday morning? I don't know. Other things are getting in the way. So now I'm trying to squeeze in podcasts wherever I can. Um, I think maybe it's just me adjusting to a new schedule with a new workflow, with my new position. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting to it and I am getting to it once a week. So I'll try to focus on the positive. Anyway, happy Mardi Gras, although it'll be Lent. Lent by the time you're listening. Uh, tomorrow's Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. I hope you're getting some partying in today, tonight get all those celebrations in. Um, There's been a lot on social media about Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday falling on the same day and how that's not really inappropriate. Yes, it would be inappropriate to observe Ash Wednesday eating your chocolate Valentine hearts or whatever. But really talking about how St. Valentine is one of the martyrs of the church. And um, the idea of sacrifice is not foreign to the idea of honoring St. Valentine on his feast day. So uh, let's, let's focus there. Let's remember that this year. Um, We're going to have a little celebration here tonight because it happens to also be my father-in-law's birthday because we needed another thing to call today. So we're having uh, Valentine's Day, Mardi Gras, Grandpa's 81st birthday tonight. I'm going to make the kids all just die for this fried chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy and uh, carrot cake because that's Grandpa's favorite. So he'll have that uh, for his special birthday dinner. And then we'll be watching the Olympics probably before Grandpa has to leave. Have you been watching the Olympics? I usually love the Olympics, but I have to tell you, I am not thrilled. And okay, I've only watched maybe two hours, no, probably three of coverage so far this year. Not thrilled. I just feel like it's not the athletes and it's not the sports. I always enjoy that part, but it's the presentation. I don't know. I feel like everything's kind of been ready-made and and edited before I get to experience it. I don't And maybe that's because I'm not watching anything live, but usually that's not an issue. Usually the networks do a good job of kind of recreating the excitement of a live moment, even if you're watching in primetime. And um, I don't know who the British lady is. She's nice and everything, but it feels weird to me to have a British lady kind of narrating and hosting us through the Olympics when we're Americans and never are you going to be more nationalistic than during the Olympic Games, right? I don't love Katie Couric, but I prefer to listen to her. I don't know. Or some American person. I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, um, we watched some of the snowboarding last night and uh, Chloe Kim. Wow. I love watching. um, I love watching those winter sports and I love watching snowboarding, especially what a talented young lady she is. She's 17 years old. Unbelievable. Um, And I always watch and I I find myself like, do you ever find yourself you're like, lying on the couch watching the Olympics and somebody like falls on their butt or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, these people stink. 
pass the potato chips, you know, like while you're lounging on the couch, flipping through channels. Yeah, I get a little bit of that lazy feeling as I'm watching these Olympic Games, especially the cross-country skiing, the Nordic skiing. Those people are like, they have to be the fittest people on the planet. I can't even imagine. And we had a Catholic mom, Nordic skier, Nordic formerly Olympic athlete on the show. I have to look that up and, and I'll link it up in the show notes. Um, Re- Rebecca Dussault, who now um, uses the handle Fit Catholic Mom. You can find her on Twitter and I think Instagram as well. Probably Facebook, but I don't think I'd follow her there. But she she shares little fitness tips and um, all from a spiritual perspective. I think she even offers retreats at her home. Um, I think she lives out west. Anyway, some a nice little Olympic tie-in for you to think about as you're watching the Olympics. If you're watching let me know what your experience has been who are you rooting for and what are you enjoying and are you complaining like me about it not being exactly like previous years at least they didn't change the music right I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain too much and I haven't gotten to watch uh, couples figure skating I hope I haven't missed it because that's my absolute favorite so I'm I'm hoping that will be um, a highlight upcoming in the future. Anyway, I want to share with you before we go to the interview I have this week, which is a great interview I had with Dr. Ann Garrido. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Lent since uh, tomorrow it begins. I try to keep it simple and I try to in- encourage my family to keep it simple and focus on just those three tenets of Lent that the church teaches us, which are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So to make sure I'm doing something in each of those categories for the 40 days of Lent. So um, in case it's helpful to you, I'm going to just share what my my plan is and, and how simple it is. Um, it's it's really, it's not very complicated. I'm not trying to show off here. Um, so for the, the prayer aspect, um, this is interesting because we had our first class last night. We belong to a parish, um, but there's a, another parish that's even closer by that we go to when it's convenient. And um, since our home parish has switched around its mass times and they're horribly inconvenient and it's kind of far away to drive. We've been going to this more local parish more and more. We still belong at, at our parish, but um, the, the the church that's closest to us, which is technically where we should be parishioners, we've been just attending mass there pretty much regularly for a few months now and um, never really participated in anything there. Our kids didn't do religious ed through there. And they still won't. I mean, our kids are still enrolled at our other parish and do youth group activities there and whatnot. But uh, they advertised this Lenten scripture study that was going to take place at this other parish that I don't feel like I belong to. And when I heard it advertised, um, you know, advertised, whatever, they they listed it in the announcements and I saw it in the bulletin, I did immediately feel like this little nudge, like, that would be a good thing to do. It's a weekly prayer study, weekly scripture study with other people of the parish. And um, I, I quickly put that thought away and thought, you know, this isn't even my parish and I don't have time for that. And it meets on Monday evenings and um, right around, you know, the dinner, homework, crunch hour, um, all these reasons why I just put it out of my mind. But then I was really surprised when a few days later, my 18-year-old daughter, Juliet, who's a senior in high school, told me, hey, I signed up for that scripture study at that church. I was like, what? I mean, (laughs) she doesn't, she's done other things through our parish, but never through this parish. And I don't know what nudged her. Um, So as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, I definitely need to sign up. So I did. And um, we had our first one last night and we've got like a little book that we're working through. And 
Um, for sure, Juliet is <laughs> the youngest person in this group. It's largely older women, you know, as most parish activities are. And some people that I'm familiar with and some that are, are new to me and um, some whom I recognize, but I didn't really know their names. And um, so anyway, I, I find that it's it was nice and it was interesting to me to like be in like a classroom setting because I don't do that. I haven't done that in many years. I do enjoy it though. And um, just being open to and hearing other people's perspectives and the structure of this particular class is looking ahead to the readings during Lent, uh, the Sunday readings, and talking about them together and the different themes in there and kind of exploring them a little further with the help of the person who's facilitating the class, but also of this this book that's kind of guiding us through. And then there's homework for during the week where you, it's pretty simple. It's really just a reading of the, the, the daily readings, um, which... I do more often than not anyway, using my Magnificat, but just going through kind of a structured process of, you know, just really reflecting on the readings, really spending some time. Um, the, the course really encourages you to spend at least 15 minutes, you know, reading the readings and reflecting on them and um, being open to what, what God might be trying to tell you through those readings. And I found it's, um, I've done, I did it this morning after going to the class last night and I thought this is going to be good structure. It's going to be a nice little addition to my prayer life during the Lenten season. And it's nice that it's contained within the 40 days, but I hope it'll inspire some new practices, some new habits for me with regard to regular scripture reading. Because like I said, I do use my Magnificat, but I'll sometimes, you know, go a week and a half without even picking it up just because I don't get to it. And so this ha having this kind of structure and regularity, I think is going to be helpful to me. So I'm grateful to Juliet for giving me that nudge to do that. And um, so that's going to be my prayer structure for the coming 40 days. And then fasting. Okay. There are lots of ways <laughs> that I, I feel called to do this. Um, so I'm, I'm focusing on just two, um, one of which is really setting a time at the end of the day. And I, I've tried to be good about this and I've kind of slid backwards. I think I've talked about this before, putting away my electronics um, at the end of the day. So like after dinner time, not going back there and really being truly present to my husband and to my kids during that time of the day. They notice when I do it. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I have to, because I've got, I've got work that I have to do, but if I'm honest with myself, you know, it, that's because I haven't, I haven't been disciplined with my time during the day and I'm getting caught up or something like that. So, um, I think it's not necessary. And so I'm going to focus on that a little bit, but then as far as food fasting, um, my husband is wanting to go like hardcore lo low carb, which is a way of eating that he finds really healthy for him. He finds it's really helpful for him when he's um, looking to, you know, eat, eat more healthfully and just be more aware of his nutrition and his general fitness. Um, and he really needs my support for that. So <laughs> guess what? I'm going to not go low carb. Um, but it does, it does help me to stick to a, a healthy, healthy diet, um, when he's going low carb, because then there's not so much like the snacky chips and stuff in the house and those things that are more of a temptation. Um, but it is a sacrifice and a fasting for me to support him in this diet because, I make most of his food and I'm preparing most of his meals, even like what he takes to work and whatnot. And it's going to require some effort. And I'll be honest, sometimes in the past, I have really resented the extra effort that it's taken to support him in this particular way of eating. And so it's going to be part of my Lenten penance and fast to not complain, going to fast from complaining about that and um, have an open heart to being of service to him in that way. Okay, finally, almsgiving. This one also involves my husband. I can share here because 
he doesn't listen to girlfriends. Can you believe that? My husband does not listen to girlfriends, but he doesn't listen to any podcasts. So I don't take it personally. The almsgiving, this is my plan. And this is based on something that I encourage people to do um, in previous years. And they've come back and told me they've done it and how wonderful it's been for them and their families is keep a journal. You can do this for your whole family, but I'm planning to do it for just Dan and just record a page a day, just writing you know, something that I appreciate about him, maybe something from that particular day, but also maybe, you know, just something in a general sense or something that came to mind. Um, so that at the end of Lent for an Easter gift, I'll have this 40 pages of journaling that tell him how awesome he is. And so I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, journaling isn't something that I've been doing on a regular basis in the past few years. And I think this is a really good opportunity to do that. And hopefully one that he will really appreciate and will create something that he can have and um, refer to and it'll be a nice a nice thing for us in our relationship and in our marriage really marriage building tool so um that's my plan and i'm i'm really hoping to stick to that shouldn't take too long um and so it's going to require some discipline though to make sure that i'm staying on top of that so you can keep me on my toes and check in with me too on how i'm doing in the 40 days of journaling for my marriage and then lastly just in a general sense um this is something that i've been feeling called toward is just being open in my life and um, in especially in the coming 40 days, but in a general sense, being open to the ways in which I'm called to serve other people. And yeah, that sounds really general, but to me, it's actually a pretty specific thing that I'm, I'm trying to change or shift in my attitude. Um, a, like, I don't know, it was in the past year or so, year or two, that I was uh, at a speaking engagement, I was being introduced at the speaking engagement. And this lady that I had gotten to know a little bit through like the event planning and spending time together to, the day before the event, she was introducing me to this group. And she introduced me as someone who has a servant's heart. And she didn't know me that well. Um, but and, and she was trying to be nice. And I'm sure she was trying to express something that she believed was true. But I remember in the moment thinking to myself, that's false. I felt like I didn't identify with having a servant's heart. Like that wasn't true about me in a way that really convicted me. And I thought, why don't I? Because we're supposed to, you know? Um, so I, I've i been pondering that and thinking about that and reading some of the um, different parts of scripture that reference a service to others, um, especially where Jesus washes his, his disciples' feet um, and calls us all to that service, how we're all called to be a servant to others. Um that I've been reflecting on that and thinking in a in um, a, a more general sense about my attitude toward other people in my life and how I think I might have fallen into kind of a selfish habit of protecting my own interests uh, to the point where I'm closed off to the people that God might be putting in my life for me to serve. Um, you know, like I might, and this is an example that really truly has happened, like I might run into an old friend who's in a bad place in her life, but I'm not... Um, you know, going, she's going through something and she can share just a little bit about what's going on in her life. And, um, I, and then I'm free to, at the end of that conversation, either follow up with her and make an, make a time that we can get together and she can really share with me about what's going on in her life. Even if there's nothing concrete I can do to help her, I can help her feel less alone in whatever it is she's going through. Or after that, I cannot follow up. And to be honest, my inclination a lot in the past couple of years has been in those kinds of situations to not follow up almost as an act of self-preservation, like I don't have, I don't have outside energy to expend on those things. Um, and so I'm going to challenge myself a little bit in, in the coming days to really be, try to be and and add this to my prayer life, 
um, asking God to help me to be open to the ways in which he's calling me to serve other people. And that doesn't have to always mean people outside my home. Of course, it starts with the people right inside your own home. Um, but that's been less of a challenged area for me. I feel like that, of course, I'm doing that, right? But at least making sure that I'm doing that with a, with a cheerful heart, with a servant's heart. It's That's my goal this Lent in sort of a general sense. But I'd love to hear from you about what you're doing this Lenten season, what your challenges are, what's worked for you in past Lents, and um, what your hopes are for accomplishing in the next 40 days. We'll get through these 40 days together, and I hope you'll be willing to share some of your, your struggles, your trials, your joys, your triumphs along the way with me so that we can share them here at Girlfriends. You can always leave me a voice message. You can send it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. I love to connect with you on social media or on Voxer. You know, I love your Voxer messages. So um, reach out this Lent. I'd love to hear what you're doing this Lenten season. Now, also keeping with our Lenten theme, I'm eager to share with you a conversation I had recently with Dr. Ann Garrido about a particular book that she's written for Lent, but then another book she's written, which is called Redeeming Conflict, which has some great themes for Lent. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Take a listen. Welcome, everybody. I am super excited to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends today. Anne Garrido, Doctor of Ministry, is Associate Professor of Homiletics at Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri, and a consultant with Triad Consulting Group, a conflict mediation and communications team based in Cambridge, Mass. She is author of six books and numerous articles in the field of church leadership and ministry. Welcome, Anne. I'm so glad you could make the time to be with us today. Danielle, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thrilled to have you here, especially as we're going into Lent. I specifically wanted to talk to you about Lent because one book of yours that is newly available through Ave Maria Press is The Living Gospel, Daily Devotions for Lent 2018. Maybe you can just um, begin by describing for us a little bit about your background and how you came to work in this kind of ministry. Wow. Um well, I grew up in a really large Catholic family in St. Louis. I'm the oldest of eight children. Nice. And from the very beginning, uh, I would say my faith has always been a really important part of my life. And feeling like I wanted to give my life over to serving God in whatever way God was calling me to. Sure. And it ended up really being theology. Um, for myself as a woman growing up in the church, that was hard to imagine. Um, but the doors kept opening each stage along the way. And, um, so I went on, got my master's of divinity and my doctorate. And I've been on the faculty at Aquinas Institute now, gosh, for almost 20 years. Wow. Uh, and then also doing some consulting and writing projects on the side. Wow. Yeah, that is quite the background. And I love that you start with your family of origin because that's so important. <laughs> really. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your daily devotions for Lent. Um, you called the book The Living Gospel. Why'd you choose that title? Well, I'll tell you the truth. Ave Maria chose it for me. <laughs> as always <laughs> is, as always is. Yeah, it was, a, it was a devotional that they started several years back. One comes out every year for Advent and one comes out every year for Lent. Mm -hmm. And each year they ask a different writer um, to write it. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, I wrote the Advent one. This year, I did the Lent one. But there, it's like really short reflections for each day of the season. Um, because knowing people have such incredibly busy lives, none of the reflections would take more than five minutes to do. Mm -hmm. And it's a reflection a little bit on, on one of the readings of the day and how we might apply it. 
Uh, and what was exciting to me coming from the field of, of preaching or homiletics was just to do a deep dive into the lectionary of the season and see how does the church ask us through the readings of the season to take a journey uh, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday and to, to not read them just in isolation, but to read those readings all the way through and see where they take us over a six-week period of time. Right. That was super fun for me to write. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. And having written things myself out of season, you know, preparing for the season, I know what those kinds of deep dives into a season ahead of time can feel like. So what a great opportunity and what a great preparation for your own Lent this season. Now you're well versed in all of those readings. Uh, True. Yes. And I understand them in a different way than I ever did, even growing up Catholic. Wonderful. And now, so somebody who would pick up this book um, and choose to use it every day, like you said, five minutes, you can so do this. It is not a huge commitment. Um, I I think it's a really nice practical resource for somebody who might be just looking for adding something small to their Lent, you know, separating the season just a little bit. Um, But what kind of encouragement might you offer to somebody along those lines that maybe is hesitant to to take on a a new practice or maybe isn't familiar with spending a lot of time with scripture on their own? Sometimes, you know, Catholics get in that habit of just listening on Sundays, and that's the extent of their scripture reading. Sure. What I would say is that the readings of Lent really take us through a beautiful journey of conversion. And they're not easy readings. I will say, like, I loved writing the Advent book because I love the Advent readings and kind of the joy of that season. And the Lenten readings are much more challenging. They really are asking something of us to allow this season to work on our hearts. To Can we see real change? Um, we know that over and over again, the studies that are done in the field of like psychology demonstrate that when a person's really going to make a change of behavior, it can't ha- it's not something that happens in a week. It takes about 40 days for a substantive change to happen. And I find it so fascinating that the church recognizes it's going to take about 40 days of us being faithful to a practice in order for us to be able to see any real substantive, sustained change in our life and that each year we're given the gift of this season to invite us to do try something new to become a different person with the hope that we can so challenging yeah i love that though but and i love how doable this book is and how doable these daily devotions are but you've written other books um one in particular that you kind of tied into the lenten theme that i wanted us to talk about today is called redeeming conflict how, Anne, is redeeming conflict related to Lent? Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> I, oftentimes what I find the readings of Lent doing is to really ask me to take a deep look at my relationships and ask, am I being the person that I'm called to be in relationship? I think so oftentimes what we find when we look at those tough relationships in our lives, being faithful to relationship, be it to our kids, to our spouse, to our workplace colleagues, is that when stuff gets tough, we often opt out of the relationship, either by our silence, by not saying anything, or by um, you know becoming grumpy or becoming sharp-tempered or becoming um, sharp with our tongue. You know, like, yeah. but when what we're what I'm wanted to do in redeeming conflict was to help people develop the kinds of communication skills to work through the tough conversations that are part of any relationship. Mm 
so that we could be more and more faithful um, to the relationships that are key to us. And I think Lent asks us something so similar that redeeming conflict is hopefully giving us some of the skill set, some of the capacities we need to undergo that kind of conversion work that Lent invites us to. Wow. And, and I, I love that you just, you know, express conflict as just part of the human condition, because so many of us, I think, find ourselves disillusioned, like, especially when it comes to either our work or our families, you know, that we have this idea that, well, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to my vocation here. I'm, I'm putting all in and I've got all these high aspirations. We should never have to deal with that yucky stuff, that conflict, you know, and it, yeah. I think it's so ingrained in some of us to avoid conflict at all costs. But um, one place I, I saw you either interviewed or a little blurb from your book where you said conflict is actually a blessing. And that really caught my eye because I think that all too often that is not a way that we look at conflict. We might avoid it at all costs, but maybe you could speak to that yeah. just a little bit. Well, like I said, growing up in a really large Catholic family, one of the um, the images, the earliest images I have of being in the church was during like the, the season of Pentecost and hearing the story from like this Christian lens of these disciples were scared, but the Holy Spirit was there, went out, began to preach. 5,000 people heard the word, gave over all that they had to the church. And then in my own mind, the way I heard the story was, and then everybody lives happily ever after. Of course. So I thought, you know, that going into the going into work in the church would be the place to go because it's the place where, you know, if you're Catholic and you're really deeply Christian, people are just going to live happily ever after. Um, I would say having about 30 years of experience working within the church context now and 24 years of experience married, just celebrated my 24th oh, anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I can tell you that is not the case. That actually <laughs> marriage, church life is filled with tension, and it's not necessarily that that's a bad thing. People only argue about what they care about. Mm -hmm. And in communities and in families where there's no arguing going on, where there's um, no tension, it oftentimes means people have gone apathetic. Mm -hmm. um, it often is a sign people have stopped talking to one another. And that's not to say that we should like hang out all of our dirty laundry in public, that what we're witnessing to the world is tension. No, the world's got plenty of tension. What the world's lacking is seeing models of what tension looks like when handled well. Mm -hmm. And we always are preaching the reconciliation of the world to Christ are there ways that we, by the way that we witness how we handle our frustrations and our arguments with one another, could that be part of our witness to the world around, this is what reconciliation looks like uh, when it's done full of grace? Wow. I, I love that image because, you know, especially in today's political culture, it seems like conflict is everywhere and the ugliest forms of it. And I think many of us experienced it even in our own friendships and our own families in the past couple of years. There's just been a divisiveness that's part of our culture. Um, but, you know, we as Catholics are, are called to be more united than that and more of one mind, right? Because we're, we're called to this, this communion with one another. Um, maybe you could uh, describe for us just a little bit the ways in which, um, like, you know, you described your, your, your marriage and, um, we all have those, those intimate personal relationships. How does conflict inside of that 
affect our community and affect in the ways in which we handle conflict inside of our smaller churches, our domestic churches? How does that affect our community at large and, and in a general sense, the church? That's a great question. I mean, I think at the very heart of our church's life is Eucharist, is communion mm-hmm. um, with one another, that we're invited into a deep life of communion. And one of the ways in which that's expressed is in the domestic church, in the family's, in the family's life. Um, the family is the very first place that children ever have contact with what it means to be church, what it means to be in communion. Mm-hmm. It's the place where in my marriage I'm practicing being in communion. And to the degree that married couples and families are able to show what a deep life of love and communion looks like, uh, the church as a whole learns a lot about what communion looks like by by watching its families. Yeah. They're in dialogue with each other. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And what might you say for maybe some words of advice? Maybe there's a mom out there listening right now, has no plan for Lent yet. You know, Lent is around the corner at our door. Some people will be listening to this after the start of Lent. Um, sure. Maybe in, with regard to, especially to this idea of conflict, redeeming conflict inside of our homes, inside of our families, in a way that blesses the church at large, what are some practical ways that we can begin to practice that in our homes, in our families, and in our parenting? Hmm. Well, in the in the book Redeeming Conflict, I talk about twelve habits or twelve practices that Christians can undertake to be a reconciling person in the world or a reconciling person in the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those are going to be real obvious things like uh, figuring out how to forgive and to let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like figuring out how to say you know what, I'm sorry, <laughs> which is so hard for many of us to do, sure. even family situations. But some of them are probably a little less obvious. Uh, one of them, for example, that I talk about is being curious, uh, trying to figure out why this makes sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm trying to figure out, usually you seem like a pretty sane person, why does this stance that you're taking, this opinion, this judgment that you're making, why does that make sense to you? And so in the book, I've got a couple of like questions that people could begin to stick into their daily conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, another practice that's in the book that maybe is a little bit you know, less familiar would be separating intent from impact. Okay. Oftentimes when we go into our conversations, our relationships with really good intentions, right? <laughs> uh, we want the best. And we think that if things don't turn out the way that we intended, like if the other person, it doesn't work out the way that we thought it should, uh, that the other person should know, even if they were impacted negatively by it, that they should understand, you know, because they should know I have good intentions. Uh, They should get over it. But the ironic thing is that we ourselves, if we're impacted negatively by something, we will tend to assume the other person had bad intentions or had some sort of major character flaw. So it's kind of uh, separating out those two, even like in my daily life, one practice I could adapt for Lent is, can I separate out intention and impact and realize that not all my great intentions have good impact and I should still maybe say, I'm sorry. Right. And that every time that I'm hurt or offended by another person, it doesn't mean they hurt, they tried to hurt or offend me. 
can I look at their actions through as charitable a lens as possible and ask, hey, what were your intentions there? That stung, but I'm guessing you didn't mean to sting me. Uh, Could you talk more about it? Oh, such great insight. I feel like you've been eavesdropping on conversations and arguments in my own marriage. (laughs) because (laughs) Ultimately, that is what a lot of our disagreements come down to. And um, I know that I, out of a habit in my own marriage relationship, have, have sometimes fallen into that bad habit of assuming absolute bad intentions on my husband's part, which is completely unfair. And you're so right in pointing out that we expect that that benefited the doubt to be granted to us in the opposite situation that like, of course, you know, I didn't mean to do that. And, um, you know, when you find yourself thinking my spouse is insane, you know, like, you know what, they're probably not, they're probably, (laughs) they probably didn't intend what you're thinking. And they're probably misunderstanding what, what you're, what you're saying to them. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, so beautiful. I mean, I love that. So that could, you know, in in Lent, it could take on the form of um, maybe just pausing inside of moments of conflict and assessing, as you said, like, what what are this person's intentions? What's the intent? And I know what the impact is, but what is their intent? And really just trying to see their point of view. I think having a genuine sense of curiosity about other people's perspectives is a great place to start for Lent. Love that. Yeah. And oftentimes I don't think we think of curiosity as a virtue, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's one of the most profound things I think we can take on as Christian to ask questions well. Right, right. And okay, so we're, we're a church. And so we've got all these great saints to look at for, um, you know, all different kinds of conflict resolution. What kinds of saints might you point to that could be good examples for us this Lenten season if we're, we're looking to redeem conflict in our own lives? Oh, <laughs> it was it was so interesting trying to come up with episodes in the church's history where conflict had been handled well. Because uh, <laughs> some of them, I would ask my friends, like on Facebook and stuff like that, give me a good example from church history. And some of them are, you know, church historians. And it was so funny because oftentimes they would use they would be like, "Well, remember in the ancient church when uh, Athanasius slapped Arius?" And I was like. Yeah, that's not really the kind of model I'm trying to look for. (laughs) So I had to do a deeper dive than what I had anticipated to find examples of where as a community have we really handled this well. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the ones that I came up with were a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, I loved the story, and I should say PBS has just done a recent documentary on this, of Francis of Assisi when he traveled to Northern Africa to meet the Sultan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was during the crusades. Christians and Muslims were actually at war with each other, but Francis traveled there with one companion to go and to ask questions and to be in dialogue um, with this, with the Sultan. And amazingly, the Sultan invited him in and they had an amazing example of dialogue. Wow. Neither one of them, you know, changed religions in the matter but both of them came away deeply enriched from the encounter. Uh, and that was one of the favorite stories I found. Yeah. I also uh, love the story of Leo the Great, who met face to face with Attila the Hun, would have scared the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> of course. But you know that he went out there and had a conversation that other people had had no idea doing. I want you know to do. Right. Uh, from a woman's perspective, let me just throw in there also the story of St. Tecla, okay. who okay. was a woman who really honored tremendously, especially in the Orthodox tradition, uh, found her voice 
and was willing to speak up for what she most deeply believed in, even when people around her uh, were giving her really mixed messages and, and hesitant to have her put her voice into the conversation. She, wow. Hers is a great story to look into further. Wow. I never heard of that one. And I love that we do have some positive examples because you're right, the face slapping as as much as people like to share that story, maybe not the most effective. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, these these great sam- examples we have from the saints in the church, they they can all speak to um, the value of dialogue between mm-hmm. us and others. And I think as Catholics, because we have access to the truth, right? Sometimes the temptation is to hit other people over the head with it, right? Or to lord it over people, or to you know let our own ego egos get involved in our conversations. But what advice would you have for people engaging in conversation, hopefully fruitful conversation to learn about other people's perspectives, knowing that there's the truth, right? We're not relativists inside the Catholic Church. Um, But how do we balance those two things? Yeah, I think when we use that word uh, truth, uh, that is something which throughout the history of the tradition it's not a possession. It's always something that we are shooting for. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Aquinas speaks of the truth as being a mindset that's aligned with reality. And to remember that reality is an incredibly big and huge thing. One of my friends is, uh, um, he's apt to say, he goes, reality is like a bazillion volts of electricity. And most of us are working with like a 60 watt bulb. (laughs) So we never, what we don't know Mm -hmm. about reality is always less than what we do know. And that's not to say that we don't know some things and understand them well, but we always have more to find out than what we have ever mastered. I think about that even, again, in the context of being in relationship with my husband. I've known him now for a quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. And in our context of living with each other, there's always more to know. Mm-hmm. Um, persons are mystery. God is mystery. And so part of um, when we say that truth is objective, it also means kind of like objective, like on a syllabus. It's something we're always striving for. It's something that is always a goal that's before us. And we never want to go into a conversation thinking, and I've got it under wraps. Like, I know all there is to be known about this. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think curiosity is such an important part of the Christian journey. To recognize reality is, is bigger than I've dreamed. And I've, even though I know a lot, there's always more for me to know out there. Right. I love that. And I love the the kind of humility that's inherent in that yeah. that kind of perspective that we don't know it all and we don't have it all together. And we're actually little tiny, tiny specks of dust on this planet, you know, and having that kind of understanding but while knowing how, how mighty and great the church is and, and how, you know, what a grace and what a blessing it is to have access to the truth, meaning Jesus Christ inside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, what a gift that is. Um, do you yeah. have any words of advice for parents in particular with regard to these themes and these topics? Um, how do we model this for our kids? How do we speak to our children about having that kind of openness to others, openness to the world, while at the same time seeking that truth? Wow. I think this is these kinds of things are things that children catch in the home, and they're mm-hmm. caught 
rather than taught explicitly by the way that they watch us talk to each other, our spouse, but then also the way that we talk to them. Do we um, hold them with the same kind of reverence? And do I realize that my child also has a story that I want to inquire about rather than assume that I know? Mm -hmm. I remember uh, uh, I do a lot of work in the catechesis of the Good Shepherd movement and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. learning um, through that movement how to treat my child with much deeper respect and to realize the face of God that was within my child. And one of the things that uh, uh, I I walked up one night when my child was about seven, and this story just sticks in my head, and I said, go up and, and get yourself ready for bed, and um, I come up and I'll tuck you in. And I, I went up and my son was laying across the bed with his shoes and his clothes still on. And everything within myself as a mom was like, Hey, I told you go up and get yourself ready for bed. And you were you're like, why are you not listening to what I said? Right. But that movement had, had trained me to slow down enough that I just paused and I could tell he was laying in bed, but he was having, he was thinking. And I said to him, um, what are you thinking about? Like I approached with a question instead mm-hmm. of a command. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, Mom, I'm just wondering, what is life? Whoa. I know. <laughs> I thought, I'm so glad that I entered into this conversation from a space of curiosity and respect rather than from a space of anger or frustration or do what I tell you to do, obedience. Right, And I can't do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are moments when I really do get frustrated and time is of essence. And I, you know, have a clock like everybody else. Sure. But to the degree where as a parent, I can slow down and reverence what's going on inside of my child and take take time when I sense there's a sacred moment. um, I do think that then hopefully they will do that in the world as well. Right. Oh, beautiful. I love that example. And I think we can all relate to that because we certainly all fall into that habit of constantly just being in practical mode. And and for good reason, like you pointed out, it needs to be a balance there. But what a great goal to have this Lent to be more um, reverent of our, our children and their, their perspectives and their space and their thoughts. And um, you're, you're so right that Uh, it's caught more than taught. And I love that. It's going to stick with me because um, you can say all you want, but how you treat them and um, the ways in which you respond to them and their perspectives teaches them a lot more than all the lectures, even though we love to do that. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Well, great thoughts for for this Lent from Dr. Anne Garrido, who's author of The Living Gospel Daily Devotions for Lent 2018, also Redeeming Conflict, uh, both available from Ave Maria Press, along with many other titles. Um, Dr. Anne Garrido, can you tell us where people can find out more about your ministry, your work, and your books? Oh, sure. Um, Well, you can Google me, (laughs) anngarrido.com. Great. And that's A-N-N-O-E, right? And G-A-R-R-I-D-O. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then also on the Ave Maria website. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll have all of that linked up in the show notes um, for this episode. And in the meantime, get your copy of The Living Gospel and put your plan together for this Lent. It's not too late. There's plenty of time because we've got 40 days and all kinds of room for improvement and expanding our perspectives. Thank you so much, Anne, Dr. Anne Garrido, for being with us here today on Girlfriends. We really appreciated you taking the time to share with us. Thanks, Danielle. 
Hey, do you like what we do here? Do you appreciate having access to girlfriends every week? Is it helpful or encouraging to you in your everyday life? Well, if so, there's a convenient way you can say thank you for the Girlfriends podcast and encourage me to continue to record it. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, is a simple system that allows you to pledge your support for this podcast, show your appreciation, and encourage its production every week. At patreon.com forward slash girlfriends, you can make a pledge in any amount. Even just a dollar per episode makes a real difference and is a simple way to show your appreciation and support for girlfriends. I want to thank our newest supporter on Patreon, Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. And if you would like to show your support like Bridget, go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends to find out more. Thank you so much. I also want to thank Ascension for partnering with me to bring you the Girlfriends podcast. You can find out about all the great prayer and spirituals resources that Ascension has to offer at ascensionpress.com. There are lots of podcasts there for you to check out, lots of video content. There are scripture studies and other studies that you might look into bringing to your parish. Things for people from all walks of life, all different stages and ages. There's something there for everybody. So check it out at ascensionpress.com. Okay, now it's time for a little bit of feedback. And I heard from so many of you reaching out with love and prayers for Taylor. So Taylor, if you're listening, know that people love you and are supporting you. And um, for those of you who didn't listen last week, Taylor is a young mom pregnant with twins who had an ultrasound that indicated there might be some reasons for concern for the the health and well-being of one of the babies that she's carrying, but it's uncertain. So she's in a real place of uncertainty. And Taylor happens to be a young mom, um, a newlywed who reached out to me even before becoming pregnant with her ambivalent feelings about the possibility of becoming pregnant and the possibility of becoming a mom. So really, um, Taylor's really being challenged in her life right now. So let's continue to pray for Taylor and for her babies and for her husband. And you know, that that God will help her uh, give her the grace and strength she needs for whatever it is he's planning. He's got big plans for that little family. I know he does. And so just asking God to um, help her to know how much she's loved and supported and to give her peace and strength during this time, which is really very challenging. Hi there. This message is for Taylor. Um, this is Maggie Bogdan. Taylor, when I heard your email, I knew I had to reach out to you. I was so moved with emotion listening to your story. I have had a somewhat similar experience in becoming a mother. My pregnancy was completely unexpected. And although within a loving marriage, I, like you, was hesitant about the idea of motherhood and went through a lot of negative emotions surrounding the pregnancy, anger, sadness, grief, confusion, you name it. I was ashamed and I felt guilty for not being excited. I also went through some um, struggles with my health and had a very rough postpartum period. But this message is of encouragement because God knows you more greatly and intimately than anyone else. I know that it is so hard to imagine yourself as a mother and to accept this new and overwhelming role that God has given you. But trust me when I tell you that you can do this. You were created to do this and he knows you can. My son, Alan, is the biggest blessing and the most amazing gift I have ever been given. You will surprise yourself and you will wonder how you ever lived without your babies. Motherhood is amazing and sanctifying. It is the best thing I have ever done in my life, and it is so very special. I am confident that you will feel similarly. I know the pieces of God's plan are going to fall into place for you, Taylor, and I am rooting for you and praying. 
Thank you for that, Maggie and others. Um, I'm forwarding your messages to Taylor so that she can receive them all. And I'm really hopeful they'll be helpful and supportive for her. So thank you all for the generous ways that you responded to Taylor's need for prayers. And if you're in particular need of prayers, I hope you'll feel free to reach out as well. Um, I really like to build a community here at Girlfriends, and I really believe we are a community of people who listen together. And even though you don't know who else has their earbuds in while they're doing laundry or going for a run or whatever, um, we really are a, a family here. We all are connected through what we share here. And the more you share back, the, the greater it is and the stronger our community can become. So I um, I hope that I'll hear from you. If there's a particular way that we can support you with prayer, do let us know about it. I'd love to be able to share it. And this week, we also heard from our regular feedback provider, David, who had some thoughts to share with Taylor that I'm going to be pass along, passing along to her. And um, then he also added this. You know, my second thought on today's episode um, or this week's episode, and this thought's been running through my mind for a long time now um, and I don't know what your situation in life is at this point um, but I suspect you know your empty nest hood is uh, in the in your you know soon horizon uh, and so don't cheer up when I say that um, it's just the fact of life um, but I'd strongly urge you to consider uh, to take to prayer and to consider whether um, you might be called to be a spiritual director um, kind of in a formal sense. Um, I just, every time I listen to you, I think uh, you would do a great job of that. You know, my my experience, I was a Jesuit novice for a while. And so um, kind of, I'm most well-versed in that type of spirituality. Um, you have a natural um, draw to that. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you know, done the spiritual exercises, um, you know, to, you know, in, engaged in kind of any Ignatian uh, type of retreat. Um, but I, I could see you doing really, really wonderful work that um, I think you might really um, like um, and benefit from. So I urge you to consider that um, if you've never read anything about any kind of Jesuit uh, spirituality and, and trust me, I know uh, saying Jesuit raises alarm bells for a lot of people. So I, I wouldn't say this to a lot of people, but I'm saying it to you because I know that you're very, um, oh, you just have a, a, a good head about you in terms of inter, intra uh, church politics. Um, Father Timothy Gallagher, who surprisingly enough is not a Jesuit, um, has a really, uh, and he's out of Boston, I believe. Uh, but he has a really uh, wonderful series on different um, Ignatian oh principles. Um, you know the examine, you know the examine of conscience, the Ignatian rules for discernment, all of those types of things. That even if you said, you know, I given my state in life right now and where I'm at, I don't know that kind of pursuing, you know, more formally spiritual, being a spiritual director is in the cards. Uh, I still think you'd benefit greatly from a lot of his works in particular. And um, and there really are a lot of good um, Jesuits, you know, at BC um, that um, that I know that, um, you know, are kind of in the spiritual direction. Oh, um, kind of ministries. So I, just putting it out there, um, 
obviously you, you have to do what you have to do with it. But I thought to myself, I at least need to make this suggestion to you. So um, again, sorry for the long message and sorry if it wasn't um, or if it isn't uh, convertible into the into the podcast. You obviously know I love it to death uh, and you're doing a great job. Um, so I uh, hope you're well. Um, that's it. Take care. Bye. Thank you, David, for those interesting thoughts. Um, I'm not offended that you think my life might be different now than it was when I had a million little kids running around. Um, and it is. And um, that was very interesting because nobody's ever suggested that to me before that I might consider becoming a um, spiritual director or advisor in some official capacity. I'm happy to continue to do it in an unofficial capacity with my friends and girlfriends and my girlfriends here on the podcast as well. But um, you planted a little seed and I'll, I'll put that aside and maybe pray about it and think about it in the coming years because it is true. Our life changes. And like I said, how I've been feeling at the start of the show, I've been feeling kind of challenged to be more open to others and um, new ways that I might be of service to others uh, that I might not have been able to do before. You know, the, I said no reflexively to those things in the past. Um, maybe that was appropriate, uh, but maybe it isn't right now at this stage in my life. And so something definitely to think about. Um, thank you for your feedback, David. And thank you for everyone who has sent notes and has sent emails, even those that I haven't shared, even those that we've shared privately. I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you reaching out and letting me know that you're listening. So um, if you'd like to add your feedback to a future episode, you can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. If you'd rather I don't share your note on the podcast, that's totally fine. Just let me know that and I'll be sure to respect your privacy in that way. Um, but you can also leave voice feedback. You can go to daniellebean.com. There's a little speak pipe app on there where you just click the little tab that says leave voicemail and without any special equipment, you're able to do that and I'll get your message. I think it only records up to a minute and a half that way. So just know that going in. Or we can connect on Voxer, which is a fun app, which uh, can record your voice and send it to me easily and quickly. The link to connect with me on Voxer is in the show notes for every every episode of the Girlfriends podcast at daniellebean.com. I would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, I hope your Lent is off to a great start. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for being a part of what we do here at the Girlfriends Podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community. Your presence here and your listening really matters to me. And I'm so grateful for you just being here. Thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth. Find your joy. Find your joy.